This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're catching up with Jacob Knight. Jacob is a third-generation farmer who works alongside his family on Boxwood, their 2,200-hectare property just near Mindurin. In this episode, you'll hear how over the last few decades, the Knights have slowly been improving their business through constant self-evaluation and attempt to work out the best mix of enterprises. You'll also hear Jacob explain how over the last few years they've increased their focus on dual-purpose cropping and the establishment of temperate pastures, all in an effort to maximise production in their prime lamb enterprise. Local Land Services cropping advisor Tim Bartamote sat down with Jacob for a cuppa and this chat at Boxwood. G'day everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're here with Jacob Knight out of Boxwood. How you going, Jacob? Good, Tim. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Thanks for being here. For let me come and annoy you about what you do. Yeah, no dramas. So can you tell us a little bit about Boxwood? Yeah, so we're here on Boxwood, Tim. This is a family mixed farm. So I'm farming here with my brother and my father and our families. My brother and his wife and four kids and me and my wife and about to have our fourth and mum and dad here. So that's where we're at, just out of Mandurin. And so when you say mixed farming enterprise, what does that consist of? Yeah, so we're mixed farming. Probably the main business is prime lambs, uh, come from first cross use. We also do a fair bit of cropping and pastures, uh, a bit of hay, and we've done a bit of cattle trading and just recently put a few of those on again. And so for those who aren't familiar with the Mandurin district, which we're not too far from, how, how many k's are we from Mandurin? Uh, we have eight to ten k's out of Mandurin on the uh, southeast corner. What is the country typically like around here? We've got a fair mix of soils here, Tim, but where we are here on Boxwood, it's more of the redder country, but as we get closer to Mendurin, we go down into lighter, sandy, acid soils. But yeah, there's quite a mix here. Boxwood's the first place that my grandfather bought back in 87, I think it was. There's a couple of paddocks up the back there that they're called Lizard and Goenna. Back then, the uh, going around for the inspection, the previous vendor said, uh, we won't even bother going and look at them. You can't run a goanna up there. But we've got tropicals up there and it's some of our most productive ground. So it's come a long way in those years. I guess there's a, maybe it's just me, but there's a bit of a perception that Mindoran country is typically that soupy stuff that you get stuck in when it's too wet. There's a bit of a mix and you certainly do get soup and that some of that down there is does get quite wet. In saying that, some of that sandy country does drain pretty well as well. So it's, if you go down, you'll go down, but, but it's not too bad. We've tried it out in the last couple of years and it's we haven't had too many major disasters. That's good to hear. So you mentioned that your grandfather bought the original block, so back in 87, wasn't it? Yeah, so I think in 87 they bought this block here, Boxwood, and they bought that. There was a couple of sons that wanted to come back on the farm. They had country at Cowra and it was too dear for them to expand enough back there. So, yeah, we moved up here to Mandurin and this block came with a fully working piggery. So they ran that for um, 15 years or something. In the early 2000s, I think we got out of the pigs. It was too much work and no money. So we got rid of them. And sort of since then, we've added a couple of blocks on. 
to Boxwood here to get to where we are today. Talk us through that transition in enterprises because actually that reminded me because I guess the audience won't know this, but I actually did a, a couple of weeks of work experience back here when I was at school with the old man. And I remember him telling me a bit about the piggery. Uh, how's that been in that? Because I guess you were in our conversations that we've had before, you've mentioned that you're moving towards more a dual purpose, introduced pasture focus. What's that been like over the last, you know, since your grandfather bought it till now? Yes, I think there's probably been, I haven't been around as long as they have, but that was before I was born, 87. But I think that, yeah, it's been a transition, I guess. They did, yeah, did the piggery and that was working well for quite a while. But then I think it must have been that the grain prices were going up and the imports were coming in and it, there was just no money in it. Even back then, hard to get someone to look after the pigs that you can trust and go away. Uh, they're just so intensive, you can't leave them really. That's probably the idea of being more more grazing focused as well. We want this to be a place that is good for us that we're not tied to. So it's been a, a continual transition, I guess, and we're just sort of looking at what suits. And as we've added on back in 2015, I think was when we bought the last place, which was in between a couple of places that we had, and that nearly doubled our size to where we are now. Coming from there, it's just been a gradual sort of what works for us, what works for the country, and I guess where there's a bit of profit as well. Because how much of your country is currently just cropping? Like how much would you put in each year? Uh, we've got about 2,200 hectares here all up. This year we're probably going to sow probably about half of that, maybe just over half. But we're sort of working towards getting more sown down to pasture and not having to farm as much, both sowing tropicals, permanent pasture, as well as on some of this redder country, the better country, well, different country. Uh, that's our loosened blocks, so... The loosen's currently in a or working towards an eight-year rotation, so we're four years loosen, take it out for four years for a, typically a canola wheat rotation and back into loosen for four years. So that's sort of part of it. So this year I think there's, I don't know, maybe 400 hectares or so that'll go down to some permanent pasture and some loosen. Yeah, so what's that, six or 700 hectares of crop left this year. It was a bit higher last year. Just trying to get country in order and yeah, get it sown down to pasture. So tell me a bit about your tropical, what species are you? Yeah, so normally the grass is predominantly just digit grass, premier digit grass. We did do a little bit of Rhodes grass back in the day, but haven't done any of that for a long time. Put a bit of Bambatsi in a paddock that was just a bit of a mixed soil type and probably would do that again. And then underneath it, it's got the clovers, Bicerella, a bit of Cerradella as well. So yeah, quite a good mix. And on that country, you find it good, like it, yeah, a little bit of rain, on that lighter country and the tropicals will respond really quickly and grow some good feed. It's probably not as good a feed as the loosen, but it grows 10 mil of rain down there on that sandier country and the digital go away, but it'll do nothing to a hard loosen paddock, won't even shoot. So it's good having a mix and helps being able to rotate stuff around. And so how do you find transitioning a paddock into that premier digit block? It's definitely a learning experience. We've done quite a few different ones. We've had very few total failures. To be honest, sometimes you think, oh, this is going to be no good, but then it just seems to come up when it wants to. You know, typically the Bob Freeburn style of three years of cropping and fallowing over summer and getting rid of all your weeds and cleaning up the seed bank and then, yeah, just stick it in and see what happens. Yeah, so mostly it's been pretty good. We've got another, yeah, maybe three paddocks or something to put in this year, so we'll do those shortly and, and see how we go. And how do you find feeding those pastures? Do you have to give it a fair bit of urea or anything like that? Or? Yes, we have been. Ultimately, the goal is probably to do the urea most years and maybe the pastures every second year or something like that. 
So we've done a bit of a mix. Sometimes we've done a blend of single and urea and just put that out so you're only passing over the paddock once. At other times we've done straight single or straight urea. Just depends on what you're trying to feed. Also depends on how the season season runs, season and management. If you've got your summer grass eaten down quite well and you've got space for your legumes to come up, sometimes we get a really good crop of legume and obviously that helps adding nitrogen to the soil. Uh, whereas other times if there's not much of a winter or spring, the legumes have done basically nothing. So you've really got to feed that grass if you want good production out of it. I guess it's also a bit of a, you can decide, like if you've got the stock and you, you need the grass, you can put the urea out and you know you're going to get a payback from it. Whereas if you think you've got plenty else, then you can sort of just let it go and, and chew it off a bit, but maybe not get as high a production. What are your thoughts for 2023? I think we like to sort of hedge our bets a bit. So traditionally we've been going a 50-50 blend of MAP and urea through the air seeder with the seed. And that sort of gets it because nearly all of our cropping is dual purpose cropping. So we go quite early so we can get a graze or a lot of grazing off it and lock it up. But that also just gives you a bit of flexibility. So you've got some furt there to get it going and get the early feed off it. And then you can top it up as needed, really. So it's, yeah, there's a bit there, but you also haven't put it all on. So you've got time to keep adjusting as the season allows. So Jacob, you mentioned a little bit about dual purpose cropping and introduced pastures. In terms of the dual purpose, what species, yeah, what species are you using? We've been doing wheat a lot lately so we've been using mostly kitty hawk last couple of years we've put a bit of severn in as well or bennett wheat and we're finding them good for grazing and then also grain recovery at the end done a bit of the oats as well we still do a bit of oats on that lighter country did a fair bit of trip back in the early days back in early 2000s probably 10 or 15 years ago but we're having a lot of trouble with frosting and we think we've gone to this uh, kokoda which we think is probably better for that we found the Kokoda quite good, grows well, can get good grazing off it and then also good grain recovery on that lighter soil where where wheat's not going to do as well. Mm, it was a pretty handy variety actually because I remember we had a conversation about some of the the trials that we did with that in terms of dry matter production and that really, yeah, kicked a few goals. Yeah, for us it's it's a good crop but it's it's just the ground that suits as well so it's it's nice to put it there and be able to get good production off the ground as well as grain recovery. So, yeah, it's good. Is that particularly aluminium percentages that you're talking about? or A bit of aluminium, but just that lighter soil, more acid and light, lighter sandy soil, the wheat's just not going to do there. Sometimes the trick doesn't either. It just depends on the season as well. So, yeah, but um, no, it, it does suit down there a lot better than the wheat. It's sort of oats country as well, I guess. Like you could grow oats there, no worries, but we find with the trick you get more tonnes per hectare and it's worth more as well. Sometimes a little bit hard to market it or get rid of it, but yeah, profit per hectare, the trit's definitely over the oats. Just in terms of the grazing? Grazing and grain, yeah, both. What are your thoughts when people say, oh, triticale is a bit hot on stock? Yeah, could be. I don't think it's any worse than wheat. So it's all just about management. I guess, Tim, we're feeding it in the feedlot at the moment. Yeah, it's just about how you get them onto it. I think it is what it is. It's not oats, but we typically don't do a lot of oats either through feed. Sometimes we use oats for induction and then transfer them over to barley or triticale. Don't often feed wheat. Um, it's more of a premium to sell. But, yeah, trit seems to be a good middle ground. And so just touching back to those wheat varieties that you use, how do you find Bennett particularly requiring, I don't know, how do you find that with disease? 
Yeah, so last year we didn't grow any Bennett and we probably won't this year either. We sort of switched over to the Severn. I think the Bennett probably was slightly better in terms of production or certainly biomass production anyway in that green grazing phase and probably similar in grain recovery, I think. But, yeah, it's just one of those things you have to manage, you know, putting chemical on the fertiliser to try and help with the rust and then spraying it two or three or four times to try and keep it out of it. As technology moves forward, hopefully they'll be able to make newer varieties that produce as much without those issues. But it's just one of those things you've just got to management. I guess the reason that we're we're not doing all of them is we're just trying to simplify it. You know, you can have 10 different varieties of wheat growing here if you want to. Last year we did a bit of Mustang wheat as well because we were quite wet in the early sowing season. So we got the Mustang so we could go a bit later. But yeah, we're just trying to get two varieties of wheat if we can, keep it simple and go from there. And have you played around with a bit of grazing canola as well? We did a little bit of grazing canola. I reckon that might have been five or more years ago probably. Might have been nearly 10 years ago. There's definitely benefits there I can see, but the biggest one is animal health, I think. We certainly lost a few. We only had sheep at that stage and we lost a few um, ewes on it, lambing ewes. Yeah, I think it's management and they will grow well, but you've just got to look after them and, and be really on top of it. Make sure the lick's out and make sure they're all going to the lick and they're, yeah, sort of wean them onto it and maybe have hay access there so they can have a bit of roughage as well. But yeah, we've done a few uh, brassica mixes as well with the, what well, we call it a fodder mix, just, yeah, ryegrass brassica, a bit of tillage radish, clover, that sort of thing. And we find that quite good because it's a mixed species. They can sort of choose what they want to eat and it grows well. So there's potential to not eliminate, but reduce some of the animal health risks. I think definitely with the mix, it helps just not having a straight paddock of canola. Yeah, it definitely helps to have that sort of variety that they can choose from. I just want to touch on the the fact you've got ryegrass that you're you're sowing. How does it feel doing a fair bit of cropping and trying to keep that out of one paddock and putting it in another? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, just finished up our spray program at the moment and you're always just trying to get weeds, ryegrass and summer weeds and all that sort of stuff and then you go and plant ryegrass. So it does feel funny but it's also that's a mixed business. I guess it's not we're not a straight cropping farm and we're not a straight livestock farm so that's there's always compromises one way or another. And the ryegrass has been growing well for us the last few years that we've planted as well, quite productive and pretty good feed so... Yeah, I guess those sown introduced species are certainly better than the stuff we're trying to spray. So it is different there. Yeah, that's actually sown for feed, not just a weed. So you've mentioned that you've probably moved a little bit from a more heavily cropping focus to a a grazing focus. Can you explain what the thinking is there? Yeah, so probably I mean typically we've we've done cropping, but it's always been it's been a mixed business and it's dual purpose cropping a lot. I think we're probably just moving away from the cropping a little bit, both for labour reasons, just for yeah logistics when you're trying to sow and harvest and spray and store grain and all of that stuff. Also for lifestyle, it's just it's a bit less stress with the grazing business. You've got a bit more time to react and manage. Where we are, we're just dry land. If it doesn't rain, it doesn't rain. And then the risk as well, I think, so... Yeah, if it doesn't rain, you get nothing off a crop, um, whereas at least with the dual-purpose crop, you've got grazing off. Nearly always we'll get some grazing off. And then, yeah, you can just sort of do what you want with your stock. You can feed them through the drought in 18, 19, 20, 17, 18, 19. We fed all the ewes 
and we made that choice and we kept reassessing and looking at it. But yeah, you don't have a lot of choices or options with the cropping. You do, there are options there for either grazing it or cutting it for hay or, or that sort of thing, but you're really reliant on what happens from the sky. So Jacob, you mentioned before that you've got a bit of a prime lamb operation as part of your bigger mixed enterprise. Can you explain the, the process you go through there? Yeah, so for the last, I think, 10 years, we've just been buying our first cross ewes in. So we just buy them in each year and put a ram over them and try and grow as many big fat lambs as we can. We've got options there as well. We can take them out to heavyweights or a few times over the last few years we've sold them as store lambs and they're really good lambs. So it's quite a simple operation, just buy the ewes and, and grow lambs. So what ram are you bringing in? We're putting a white Suffolk over the first cross ewe. And is there a particular reason why... You take that approach? Is it purely because of the simplicity of it? Yeah, probably the simplicity. That's what we have been doing. I mean, we're always looking at different ideas and different options and not just with the sheep but, but cropping or anything else. You've always got to keep reevaluating. You can't just keep doing the same thing just because you're doing the same thing. But, yeah, with the use, it's it's quite simple. You just you buy and you use and we've been buying from the same the same place for quite a long time so we've got a good relationship there and... We know what genetics we've got and we know that we grow good lambs and they will perform well. Yeah, so I guess that's just been how we've been doing it. And you've already touched on this slightly, but how did you go about, what was your decision process in the drought? Did you try to keep as many as you could or? Yeah, I guess that's the way we looked at it. And we did, we kept reevaluating it. In the end, we did keep nearly all of the ewes through. We might have culled a little bit harder, but we didn't sell off a mob of ewes as ewes. We kept looking at it and we just... I guess we knew that when the rains came, they sheep would get dearer again and it would get harder to get back into them. And I guess because we have focused on genetics, we knew what we had and, and they weren't just any use that we wanted to get rid of. We sort of wanted to look after them and keep them. But we kept looking at it and we, we still joined and lambed down through the drought and got some pretty good results surprisingly. But, yeah, we learned a lot too through that. Yeah, it was just a decision that we made and, and kept coming back to and kept deciding that it was a reasonable thing. And, yeah, it turned out pretty good when it rained. We had the ewes there and we let them out and away we went. So what are some of the things that, that you did learn from that experience? Yeah, there's just all sorts of different things to do with joining, to do with feeding, to do with lambing down in the feedlot. And we were feeding ewes as they were lambing in a small feedlot paddock. Lots of things that aren't ideal, but it is doable and you can do it again if you want to. It's just, I guess, the knowledge that you've got there that it's possible. It just allows you to make decisions, I guess, Tim. it's You just don't want to be forced into a decision, I think. And that doesn't matter whether it's sheep or cropping or whatever else. You want to have time to be able to make a good decision or, or foresight. You don't want to be forced to sell because your stock are too skinny and you get no money for them anyway. Yeah, it's a decision that you make. So to have that as another tool that you can use is definitely helpful. You mentioned having a bit of being able to make a decision and not be forced into a situation. What enabled you to do that? Uh, yeah, so I think we're still learning as we're going, Tim, but I guess it's just, just looking at it. Dad's quite good on this as well. He sort of looks at his numbers and he figures out, you know, how much is it going to cost to feed them, how much return are we going to get from them if we're joining them and, and lambing them down, how much is it going to cost to get back into them when the drought does break because it's always going to rain again. It's just a matter of when. So, yeah, it's a focus on numbers and it's a numbers game. It's not a 
yes, we wanted to keep them because we like our ewes and they're good genetics ewes that we've paid for. So we didn't want to sell them, but I guess looking at it and reevaluating it and knowing what we can do with them allowed us to make good numbers-based decisions around what we should be doing. Right. So it's that, that idea of always self-evaluating what you're doing. Is this going to work? Is this going to work out all right if we're buying in feed? Is that, are we going to make, you know, be able to cash in on the end? Like I said before, you've got to keep, even with the enterprises, you've just got to keep reevaluating and seeing how things change. I mean, it hurts when you're buying a B double a week of grain and it's over $400 a ton. That hurts when you're feeding a lot of sheep. But if you can justify it, I guess, financially and business-wise, then that's okay. But you've just got to keep coming back to it and looking at it, doing your numbers, seeing what's happening. So it's that old adage of it's all right to spend money as long as you're making money at the other end. Yeah, that's right. You've, you've got to, I guess, look at it for the long run and see rather than just, oh, well, I've got them here so I better buy another load of grain so I can feed them. We had all the lambs in the feedlot as well and, and we knew what they were doing, how they were performing. We took a few contracts so we, we knew what was going to be coming in so you can sort of figure it all out. It takes a lot of management and, yeah, I think we learnt a lot through it as well. And so understanding all that, how are you feeling with current prices backing off a little? It's always interesting and I think that's one of the challenges that we have to deal with as farmers. We don't really get to choose what our stuff costs to buy Fertiliser is coming back a bit now, but it's, you know, the last 12, 18 months has been crazy for fertiliser prices historically. And we don't get to choose what we sell things at really. You know, there's a bit of flexibility there, especially with storing grain. But with lambs, the lambs are ready when they're there, when they're ready, and you sell them at the price you can get. So, I mean, there is contracts and that sort of thing, but sometimes it's just unavoidable. I mean, lambs aren't bad at the moment, really, historically. But, yeah, they've pulled back a bit definitely from what they were. But as I said before, you've just got to keep looking at it. Can you make money out of our system of buying ewes and selling lambs or how's the trade cattle looking or, you know, do you make some more hay this year or what is it? you just got to keep looking at it, doing your figures and doing your numbers and seeing how it all works for where you're at. And so is that one of the benefits of having this mixed enterprise is you, you have that flexibility to be like, oh, this part of the business isn't doing crash up because of these, this market was shift back, put a bit more emphasis back on the cropping side of things or vice versa, or you don't have as much flexibility as that. Yeah, there's definitely some flexibility there, but I think it's a mixed farm is interesting. I think I said to you before, there's always compromises in a mixed farm, which is okay. That's the, the business that we run. But, you know, what's best for the cropping enterprise may not be best for the sheep enterprise so you sort of you've just got to figure out your priorities and be able to I guess shift your focus so it's it's a benefit but it's also requires more management I think than yeah just a single enterprise business yeah okay it feels like you got a few more balls in the air yeah I guess so and I guess that's why we try and spread the management out more on the cropping pasture machinery side of the business and my brother and dad are more on the livestock grazing side so yeah it's about dividing that management but then also coming together and making the decisions as a team, yeah, as a whole farm business really to figure out what's going to be best for the business as a whole, not just the singular enterprise. So does that mean you get to spend more time in an air-conditioned cab and they spend more time in the yards? 
Uh, yeah, probably Tim. Yeah, <laughs> most of the tractor hour, tractor seat hours is me. Yeah. Righto, Jacob. It was great to have a chat with you and learn a bit more about boxwood and the family farm out here. But yeah, appreciate your time, mate. Yeah, no, thanks for coming out, Tim. Good on you. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.